covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for being tuned in. It is the first episode of the podcast since the Brewers season came to an end. Certainly a different feeling from last week's podcast where they had just kind of backed their way into the playoffs. We knew they were going to play a best-of-three series against the Dodgers. We didn't know that they were not going to have Devin Williams available. We weren't for sure what was going to happen with Brett Anderson. Fast forward, the Brewers are competitive, but again, offensive issues are there, and they end up getting swept 2-0 in the best-of-three series. Before we go any further, let's do our normal housekeeping items here on the podcast. If you do want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. You can also, uh, if you do listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and you want to leave a ranking and review and also uh, subscribe, that would be helpful as well. We will continue this podcast. uh, We pretty much do it 50 of the 52 weeks a year. I generally take a couple weeks off right around the holidays, Christmas, New Year's, uh, and then we jump right back into it. But this is uh, pretty much an annual podcast. And while we're mentioning that, do want to give a plug for uh, my Brewers weekly show that airs on Thursday nights on WTMJ. That goes from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central, uh, Thursday nights WTMJ. So there is still going to be some Brewers talk throughout the course of the year, even with the season coming to an end. I gotta be honest, as I as I was thinking about what I wanted to do in this show, like it's it's really easy to look back at the the two games in the postseason and try to evaluate what went wrong, and and or even take even a further step back and um, really look at the whole entire season and and what went right, what went wrong, where the team goes from here. To be honest with you, we got a lot of time for that. We got a whole lot of time for that, and. Uh, this off season is gonna. I think this off season is gonna feel longer than most off seasons, uh, just in the sense that once free agency opens, I think there's going to be very little activity. I just teams from a financial standpoint, I think are going to be really hesitant to spend much money until they get a little bit more of an idea of what things are going to look like next year, and I just think that's going to cause. Not as much weekly news, and it, I think the baseball offseason is going to feel just a little bit longer this year than it does in normal years. Uh, so, you know, things like the winter meetings, and I, they've already—I think they already canceled what the GM meetings. I'm not 100% sure on that. I feel like I remember seeing that things are just going to be different, and I—I I don't know. Nobody knows. This is this doesn't just apply to baseball. I don't know when things are going to get back to normal, but. Things are not going to be 100% back to normal, even when pitchers and catchers report coming up in February. So we've got a lot of time. We've got a lot of time to really unpack what happened this season and look forward to next season. So as I as I wanted to do this podcast, I kind of wanted to have more of a wide-ranging conversation this week. It's just about what we all experienced over the past two-plus months since the season opened up on that Friday, July 24th, and the ups and downs and the different things that occurred and credit where credit is deserved in terms of just getting through the season. I just want to do that. So there's not going to be as – generally I open this up with a monologue. Here's here's your monologue. 
The Brewers were challenged offensively. They couldn't score enough runs against the Dodgers, and they lost. That's that's your model, and I'm not trying to be flippant about it, but that's what it is. They were a offensively challenged team all season long, and the offense never got going, including in the two games against the Dodgers. It didn't help that they didn't have Corbin Burns available. We knew what the we knew the equation for the Brewers beating the Dodgers was getting a really good start from Corbin Burns and getting a really good start from Brandon Woodruff. And hopefully those guys pitching you to victory. And then when Burns was injured, the formula became steal game one with Brent Suter on the mound and get Brandon Woodruff to pitch you to victory. And then they lost that game one, and, and Suter had a really hard time throwing strikes, but they didn't lose because of that. They were still in the game. They couldn't come up with that proverbial big hit. So they lose that game, and it becomes Brandon Woodruff pitches you to victory, and you see what happens in game number three, right? And it just never happened for them. They just never, never found a way to win. And I mean, the Central Division, it's amazing how much can change in a week. On last week's podcast, we're sitting here and we're kind of we're kind of puffing out our NL Central chest, right? Four teams from the National League Central into the postseason. More teams from the NL Central than any other division in baseball. And a week later, they're all out. They're all out. Not a single one of them. The Reds don't even score a run. Cubs get swept by the Marlins. Brewers get swept by the Dodgers. Cardinals were the team with the best chance to advance. They win game one against the Padres. They've got a 6-2 lead in game number two. They end up losing that thing as the Padres just hit about 9 million home runs, and then they lose in the <laughs> in the third game as well. So and take that one step further. The teams that the NL Central were playing that were not NL Central teams, the AL Central teams, they're done too. They're gone. They're out. So not good for Middle America Major League Baseball this year in the postseason. As 0 for 7 in the wild card round as they go into uh, into the divisional series. So, um, yeah, we'll spend a lot of time on future podcasts really diving into what what went right, what went wrong, where the team goes from here. But I feel like this is more of a time just kind of to reflect on the fact that, hey, they got a season in. It was a really weird season. Let's kind of look back on the weirdness and what we take away from that. And I'm going to do that with my friend Scott Warris. He is the host of WTMJ Nights, weeknights 6 to 9 on WTMJ. And you're going to hear him more now with no Brewers and no Bucks. The only thing that will bump him is uh, whether there's a Packers Thursday night game coming up in, uh, I think, in about a month or so. The NFL draft is on a Thursday night. I think we do a thing for that. But until the Bucks start up again, Scott's going to be on uh, some presidential debates. But he, uh, not to go political on you, because I'm not. I um, I stay away from politics as much as possible. He does like I do a uh, I do a baseball post game show. Scott did a debate post game show after the most recent debate. And it was amazing. It was so much. I don't think it matters which side of the aisle you sit on. It, his post debate show and the callers that they got, and everything. It's still uh, it's still available on podcast at wtmj.com. So if you have any interest in politics whatsoever, uh, I would encourage you to go uh, listen to that. We stay away from that on this podcast, but if you do have any interest in politics, no matter where you happen to fall, his post 
His post-game show, Debate Extra Innings, we could call it, DEI. His Debate Extra Innings show was uh, was fantastic, and I assume he's going to be doing those for the uh, the other debates, the other presidential debates that are scheduled if they even happen. Anyways, let's talk baseball, right? Uh, let's bring in Scott Warris. As mentioned, six to nine weeknights on WTMJ. He doesn't have Twitter. Doesn't believe in Twitter. This is generally the time that I'd be like, hey, follow Scott on Twitter at at. But he he doesn't have it. Doesn't believe in it. But uh, he's he's here nonetheless. Hi, Scott. Oh no, I believe in it. I believe in it. I just choose not to take part. I I, I believe it exists. And it has a purpose for some, not necessarily for me. It's good to be back. I have not been on here since we were still in the, was that June? Uh, yeah, it had to be June. We were still going through the will they, won't they, and my God, they did. They did it, Matt. <laughs> they they did. did it. They got through the year. So, okay, let's let's rewind to that and to where we're at now. As someone who... You you watch or listen to almost every Brewers game. Um, did you, from more of a fan standpoint, did you get out of the 60-game regular season schedule, I guess, did you get what you were expecting to get out of it, more or less? How would you evaluate that? Hmm, I get out of it more. I, I, you know what? Once it started, that first week of games, well, the Brewers had a little bit of an interruption there, but that, that first week of games, and, and we saw, okay, this is how it's going to look. This is how it's going to sound. I was obviously not at any games, but this is how it's going to feel. Once I saw that and experienced that through the television, as it were, I, 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 I got what I, I think I expected. Um, over the course of 60 games. And I know that I and others had debated, is it going to be worth it? Is 50 or 60 games, is it worth it? And I was very much on the fence as if to say, if that's all we're going to get, just bang the thing and we'll be in spring of 2021. But you know what? In the end, it was fun. It, 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 it was fun. It, it, it still is fun with the playoffs going on. I mean, it is sports and we needed that. If we could get a reprieve from our own personal life issues, pandemic or otherwise, for just a couple of hours over the last, in our case, two months, so be it. So I, you know what, I, I kind of um, came to terms with what it was going to be early on. And once I did, I was okay with it. I was satisfied with what the Brewers gave us. I was satisfied with what MLB gave us over the 60-game regular season. If you know, if 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 I wasn't if I wasn't um, if, if I hadn't come to terms with what it looked like, and oh, I want regular stuff, and this isn't the normal game, and I couldn't get myself mentally over that hurdle, then I probably would have been disappointed, or maybe not watched as intently as I did. But I and I think every fan had to come with to terms at some point early that this is how this season is going to look. So either get on board or tune in again you know, in 2021. So I was satisfied, yes. I thought my interaction on my post-game shows was down this year. And then just talking to people kind of in everyday life when I ran into people, I I felt like there was a little bit less interest this year than there had been in previous years. In my, uh, 
my thought process on this, and I could be totally wrong, uh, but I, I feel like, especially with the Brewers, it's such an immersive experience. So many people, really statewide, attend games at Miller Park. You've got the tailgating that takes place. I, I feel like the you know f- players love playing in Milwaukee because of how they're treated by the fans, and there's this emotional attachment between many of the fans and and the, and the players. And it might be sort of a one way deal, but it still exists. And you know. Play, fans weren't able to be in the same room as these guys at, at any point during the course uh, of the year this year, and I thought that led to maybe people being a little bit less interested. Plus, there was the whole, it was an ugly situation between players and owners going into the year where they're sitting there haggling over money when so many people were in a rough spot. Did you sense that? Did you get the feeling that there was certainly a, uh, a percentage of the fan base that just could not get locked into it this year? Well, and I, you know, you, you would know better there. You would have a better feel on that just because of, of the program that you have and, and talking and interacting with fans maybe more so than I do. Um, I think the point you make, you know, trying to explain that, the point you make about fans not even being able to go to games, there is, I think we realize just how how integral that is in being a fan and, and getting every last ounce of fandom out of your team, that that I think is a really good point. The point you make about the the infighting between players and owners that certainly turned off some people um, this season. Hopefully not. And here's another thing, and I haven't really thought about it until you just were kind of outlining the question and, and those two reasons. Here's another one: Major League Baseball season is so long. I mean, and and it's every day, and it's a sport. I and mean, you know all this, but it's a sport that. It, its fans invest in a daily and certainly weekly process of listening, tuning in, following fantasy baseball, looking at box scores, looking at stats, so that by the time you get to August, September, and your team is pretty good, I mean, people are revved up and, and, and ready to go. I, I would offer the factor that it was, by the time it got started, Matt, we were already, it was it July 24th, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the last week, last 10 days of July. Think of all the time that had passed. And I would maybe speculate another factor could be that for some people, it didn't feel like uh, baseball was, how, how can I put this? I'm not putting this that eloquently. Their time to be invested is normally largely April, May, June. There's no other sports, nothing else really going on. By the time it started up, there was so much else happening, I guess. Maybe that's what I'm saying in people's lives. What the heck is school going to look like? Yep. Football. What's going to happen to football? Um, the NBA uh, was norm- normally NBA wouldn't even be a factor by the time we get to July. So I think, I, I, I think the fact that it was a shorter season and people who normally are invested day and night starting in April through September, by the time it really started in July, I wonder if some people just said, oh, yeah, baseball's on too, but the Bucks are playing. Oh, and, and the NFL is going to give it a shot. And uh, we got to deal with, with school and the kids. I think there was just more more things to distract people or to occupy their time 
and baseball never had the opportunity to be the one form of entertainment for a country that needed it during those long summer months. So that and the two factors you mentioned with nobody in the seats, you can't actually go to a game this year, and then some of the acrimony between the owners and the players turned some people off too, and you add it all up, and I could see where there may be some people were just check it out altogether. It's interesting you say that because I had somebody, I had, uh, I had a buddy of mine who is, has kids and, and the kids are back in school and they're trying to figure out uh, when the kids are actually going to be in school and when they're going to continue the, uh, you know, the, the virtual learning and everything. And basically said to me, you know, when, when baseball gets started, it's still cold outside. You're so ready for it. And, mm. you know, by and then you you go through summer where you've got so much stuff going on as a family and then you kind of come out of it and go into school like there's a there's a cycle to it and you can't start the cycle if you're starting the cycle late and then the same person said you know what football feels right to me because this is when you normally have football when the weather's changing and everything so it's it feels appropriate and Look, we all, as sports fans, we all have these these cycles that we're in and these routines that we're in. And I think there is something to be said for it just fell out of routine. And for some people, it wasn't even a conscious decision. It was just, it didn't feel, it, it didn't work as far as when the season got started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, I agree totally. We, we, we are, we are. Trained in, and I don't. I think it goes well. It does go beyond sports. We we have certain benchmarks in our in our calendars, the calendars in our minds here in Milwaukee, here in Wisconsin. You know, think about it. Uh, opening day, County Stadium, Miller Park. Opening day, you're cooking out. Okay, I equate that with uh, late March, early April. Probably pretty crappy weather. I equate that with the NCAA tournament. The final four-ish is around that time. It's chilly, but baseball's here. College basketball's wrapping up. Late spring, early summer, NBA. Bucks are good. Okay, school is letting out. And I think school is letting out. I think of NBA playoffs. I think of baseball. That wasn't the case. You have uh, the, the Summerfest, for example. There another is, in our minds, a benchmark. You think, you say Summerfest. People know what time of summer it is, what time of the year it is. That usually takes us into some of the other festivals here in town. State Fair, Wisconsin State Fair, usually first week in August. Okay, what coincides with that? In my mind, preseason Packers football, college football as well. So everybody has those certain, um, like I say, those certain benchmark events which correlate to a time in the calendar that people, because how they've been raised and experienced all these things, that's just how they, how they act and react and how they think. So getting back to the original, you know, the, the, the original point here was baseball wasn't there for all of it. And then you had opening day at the end of July. I mean, it just it was so confusing, Matt. It doesn't make any sense. It was hot. It was 82 degrees and it's opening day. And then, and then it stopped and it started again. And yeah, we are creatures of habit, are we not? We are. As human beings. <laughs> we, we, we absolutely 100% are. Do you, okay, so you look at this baseball season and the Brewers are below 500. 
They never even get above 500 for even a day in the regular season. So clearly that is that is not a good season. But they make it to the postseason, expanded postseason nonetheless, but they make it to the postseason, third year in a row where they were a postseason team, something that's never happened in franchise history. How do you kind of weigh those two things against each other to determine if it was a successful or not a successful year? <laughs> I, I know... I've heard you talk about this on the show many times and when people question whether, oh, they're horrible. And What is the goal? The goal of every team professionally is to make your respective postseason tournament. Make your postseason tournament. Because if you can't make the postseason tournament, then you can't win a championship. And every professional team, ultimately, the goal is to win a championship. So... I, you know, I, I balanced the two this way. I'm just saying it was a fluke of a season, the way it was structured, the fact that it was such a, uh, you know, an expanded playoff form. So it, 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 there was a flukiness to it. I'll be the first guy to put the big asterisk next to 2020's MLB season. And yet, they were successful in getting to the playoffs. I mean, look, they expanded it. You want in or not? Would you rather be 29 and, and 31 and get in as the eight, or would you have rather been 31 and 29 and missed the eighth seed by a game? I mean, I think that maybe answers the question right there. How many Brewers fans would say, well, yes, we, we did miss the playoffs, but we had we were over 500 by two games. No, no one's going to say that. Right. They're going to say, remember that strike, uh, strike shortened. Remember that um, pandemic shortened season? We made the somehow ah, we were under five hundred, but we made the playoffs. It was three straight years. I mean, if if, if you're not satisfied in in the big picture, I, I don't know what you're waiting for. I mean, are you that much of that you? But are you that much of a purist that you'll stand on your principles so staunchly? You're foolish if you are. So I I count it a success with a gigantic, bold, italicized asterisk on the entire season. It's uh, and again, people want to be mad at the Brewers for being under five hundred. Like they didn't change the rules. Major League Baseball changed the rules, and and they they found hey, in. Listen, they didn't want to be under five hundred. I mean, hey, you think they wanted it to come down to the last uh, weekend of the season? You think they wanted to take on the Dodgers as the eighth seed? Um, I think it'll just be one of those little fun facts that uh, people will talk about when. You know, for years to come, that they were under five. But, you know, here's another thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Brewers went to the playoffs in 81, and that was kind of a funky setup, was it not? Because that, that was a, a season that was interrupted by, by um, you know, labor uh, a conflict, as it were. And then they kind of split the season in two. And so do people really remember that, you know, all that much? Probably not. Yes, I mean what that that strike, that strike in eighty one, uh, it went for a while. I'm looking it up right now. So they they right. went on strike on May 29th, and they came back on July 31st. So I mean they missed right. a month plus of the year. What that was two months. They, they missed split. two months. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know this for sure. I've never really looked into it that deeply. Didn't they split it in half and like they have the division winner or the division leaders? Yep. At the end of that. 
play the division leaders or winners after the the stoppage, and that was in essence a playoff. Because I know that there's a 1981 pennant or banner hanging somewhere in Miller Park. Yes. I was always growing up as a kid. I'm like. What happened in 81? We all know about 82. What the heck was 81? So the owners decided to split the 81 season into two halves with the first-place teams from each half in each division meeting in a best-of-five divisional playoff series. Uh, That was then known as the League Division Series, but it wasn't until 13 years later that the LDS round would become permanent. So essentially that year they played what we know now as a divisional series, but that did not exist at that point in time. Yeah. See, so, I mean, theoretically, or not theoretically, I mean, the Brewers made the playoffs in 81, albeit under odd uh, circumstances, and I think that's how... Well, for a lot of reasons, we'll look back. And you know what? And, and we've talked we talked about it on the show. You joined me a couple of Saturdays ago. Um, I mean, I, I do think we have to, whether you're fan disappointed at two games under 500, they, they pulled it off. I mean, we got to give credit to the Milwaukee Brewers, and we have to give credit to every major league team. And correct me if I'm wrong, more teams than not were perfect this year in terms of COVID tests. Yep. I mean, we, we know the ones that weren't, um, but they did it. Like that, that I, I hope, I hope that that is not lost in other, you know, what otherwise was such a, a lost season in some ways, maybe. Like they pulled it off. And, and, and all the little things that happened that we don't even know, all the things that people did organizationally with the Brewers. Players, obviously, and, and those at the front of the line, but so many little things behind the scenes that I'm sure interns and staffers did to help get keep these guys healthy, they pulled it off, and I, I was skeptical. I mean, I, I was at the front of the skeptics line, and I got to say, I, I was wrong, and I'm glad I'm wrong, and uh, you've got to tip your cap to everybody in that organization. Do you put any stock... Like in any number from the season, when it just, uh, I, the, to me, this is the most amazing statistic of anything that happened this year. The Brewers had basically the worst offensive year in club history at 223, and their batting average was second in the National League Central, which it's insane. That that's the case. Their their worst offensive season ever, and they were top two in the division. That tells you so much about the weirdness of this year. Do you put any stock in anything that happened on the field this year? (laughs) Wow. Um, I'll answer it this way. When it comes to how, how much stock do I put in the numbers to get either excited about something or a player or you know, start freaking out about something about the team or a player. I take a step back and I look to see how the numbers this year, this is kind of my philosophy, this is this how I'm going to approach it. I'm going to go and see what does this year's thing, the number, the stat, whatever it is you want to bring up, you mentioned team batting average, how does this compare to recent history? I've been thinking about this because yeah, some people are just saying, I'm not going to pay attention to anything that happened this year at all. Statistically, it's an anomaly one way or the other. Some people are, are going on the other side and saying, no, it's just, you got to 
dive into this and take it as as a hard and fast stat, just like you would any other year. And I go, well, tell me, how does it compare to recent history? What has the Brewers' offense been, since you brought up team batting average, in recent history? What have they been, what have they been known to do well? Where have they struggled? What has been the trend line, as it were? What, what, what have been characteristics of this Brewers' offense in recent past? And tell me how that lines up with the stat you want to bring up related to 2016, or 2020, I'm sorry. Same individually. The Yelich question, obviously. What the heck happened to Yelich this year? Well, I'm not going to freak out because if you look at what the guy's done, obviously we don't have to get into it. We know how good he's been. So, but there are other stats. You know, um, I pay a lot of attention to the Cubs just to, you know, rival and all that stuff and uh, listen to Chicago Sports Talk Radio. And what they did this, I mean, their offensive woes, for example, I don't want to take you off track, but is very much in keeping with the issues they've had since they won the World Series in 2016. Baez and Rizzo and Bryant have combined hit below 175 in their postseason games since winning the World Series. Like, that's a trend for a team that this year continued. So I would give that more of a whoa moment. You know, I, I would look more at that stat in this weird year as being a continuing trait. To the Brewers, you know, the, in a. They hit so many new guys. I mean, Stearns brought in all, you know, we, in some ways, remaking a lineup, knowing what they had lost with Grandal and Moustakis and bringing in, you know, Garcia and Urias, and he was late to the game as well. That, um, I'm I'm not nearly as panicky, maybe, as some others about, like, the offense. And and in big picture, I, I think fans should, okay, what happened this year? What's the stat that you want to focus in on? Tell me how does it compare either individually as a player or as a team? How does it compare to last year? How does it, what is the trend for the team in that department? What is the trend for that player? And now we can start to maybe draw something from this really weird season. How are you, how, how are you deciphering this year statistically and stuff? I don't know. That's the, the, you just gave a really long answer, and it was a really good answer, Scott. Sorry. Um, <laughs> But I don't. I don't know. I, I just. I don't think the Brewers are a very good offensive club. I think mm-hmm. they need to make the lineup better. But also, I think you can look. At, I think track record is an important thing here, and and that's that's essentially what you were saying. Yep. Omar Nervaez is a much better hitter than he showed this year. Christian Yelich is a much better hitter than he showed this year. Avisail Garcia is a much better hitter than he showed this year. So, But can you can you go into next year, especially with the new guys? Let's take Yelich out of the equation. Let's, let's focus in on Narvaez and Garcia. Garcia had some moments. Narvaez just had as bad of, a, of an offensive season as essentially you can have. Can can you, as David Stern, say, well, look at the track record. This guy's a really good hitter, and he did not hit this year because of everything that was going on and because we asked him to focus so much on his defense, yada, yada, yada. He'll be fine. 
you, that that's a really dangerous thing to do because then all of a sudden, if he's not fine, everybody's sitting there going, "Well, you saw what he did last year. Why are you Why are you just gonna say that? Yeah, this guy's gonna be fine this year." So I think that's what makes things a challenge because there's a lot of stuff that happened this year that wasn't real. Some of it mm-hmm. probably was. And as a general manager, when you want to make your club a better offensive club, you're trying to figure out a way to decipher between what's real and what's not. Well, you know, I, I've I've got the phrase whenever I have friends like that are freaking out, and you know, Council's horrible, and Stearns is brutal, and all this stuff. I I, I tell I just in Stearns I trust. I, I think I said it last time when we talked to him. like there is nothing that David Stearns and his brain trust. Yes, they've made mistakes, but what what can any fan do, or, or how, how is it any fan of a, of the Brewers could look at David Stearns and not have the faith and the confidence of decision making, and not only when to hang on to somebody, but look, he he's shown the ability and the recognition to cut ties, cut bait when. When he knows, and he's smarter than I am, when he knows that it's not going to work out. I mean, uh, smoke, right? I mean, for, for, for example, and, and, and that, that was in, a, in this weird year. So, you know, for my money, if, if Stearns and company, if they say, look, if they come to me and say Narvaez was horrible this year, and it, we think it was an anomaly, and not in keeping with what he was and what we think he will be. I, I, I trust their baseball acumen. I, I, I take them at their word. There, I have no reason to not take David Stearns at his word on stuff like that. It's uh, yeah. And you know what? There's people out there that, again, we're going back to the playoff thing. They've been a playoff team three years in a row. On When I was doing the show the other night, uh, after the final game of the season when they lost game two to the Dodgers, I had a guy call up and say, Stearns and Council need to go. And essentially I hung up on the guy, and it's not because I hung up on him because <laughs> I didn't hang up on him because I don't want to talk to people who have different opinions as me. That is not the case. I hung up on the guy because we we deal in, in reality on my show. And that's not reality. Like that's just there's no why discuss something that's never ever 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 gonna happen. But beyond that, the track record of those two guys is pretty pretty incredible. I, 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 I said this, I'll say it again in this forum. I hope fans realize this is, I mean, I, I make the case, this is the golden age of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. For the simple fact that they've made the playoffs for the three, three straight years. And four years ago, it was down to game 161, right? Before they were ultimately eliminated from the wild card. Yeah. So, I mean... There has never been, and I'll say, a four-year period where they have been this good, this competitive. Never. So, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the Patriot syndrome. Everybody, every sports fan thinks their team should be competing for a championship or at a championship level. Put it that way. Put it that way. And our team should be at a championship level every 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 year. Because somehow the New England New England Patriots are able to do it, I think they've ruined sports for fans because of it. But um, I, I just hope we realize how good this is. I've lived here my whole life, 
like, Matt, I, I was sitting at County Stadium when it's, you know, 47 degrees out in, in late September, and they're already 17 and a half games out. And I'm just there because it's a game. I, I, I just, it's good to have high goals and whatnot, but I hope people realize or uh, appreciate what they have. I, I don't know. What do you think about this? I think Mark Adonazio, somehow, some way, despite being, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I think he's the, probably the longest tenured uh, owner in, um, well, yeah, in this market, not in our state. I think he's underrated. Like, nobody ever talks about Adonazio. Edens and Lazary with the Bucks, obviously, because, you know, Giannis, and they're seen courtside and this and that, and the Packers, of course, with their unique ownership structure, are always getting lauded on the national scale because they're owned by the people and things like that. Nobody ever talks about Adonazio. Maybe it's because he lives in California and, you know, doesn't, isn't at every game and stuff like that. I don't think that guy gets enough credit. For what he does, he doesn't meddle. I mean, he'll he'll make his presence known, and he, you know, we found out in 2008 that if things aren't going well, even in the last week or two of the year, he'll pull a trigger and and you know shake things up. The guy just doesn't get enough credit, and I think he's a really really good owner. I agree, and I always feel like when I talk about that on the show, that people are going to accuse me of being a homer or being, you know, carrying water for the team because I'm on the flagship. And I, I think owners across all of major league baseball for the most part could spend a little bit more money if they wanted to, for whatever reason, major league baseball owners, I think they're, they're chicken littles in a way that they just are always looking at worst case scenario. So I will, I won't sit here and say that the brewers couldn't potentially spend a little bit more money, but I, I hate it. I hate it when people accuse Atanasio of being cheap. He's not cheap. Payroll, he's taken the payroll to levels it has never seen before. Did it take a step back this past year? Yeah, it took a step back this year. Uh, it may, may it take another step back next year. I think that's going to be across the board in Major League Baseball because of the lack of revenue from this very weird year. But to call him cheap, anytime the Brewers are close and they want to make a, a trade deadline deal, he expands the payroll if need be. Like I don't think the man is cheap at all. I think he is willing to spend money and I've I I keep saying this over and over and over and nobody else out there will agree with me but there is nobody there's nothing that can be said that can push me off this belief I really believe that the Brewers did not spend more money last offseason because they were trying to keep themselves as flexible as possible knowing they had a possibility of getting Christian Yelich to sign a long-term deal and I think if we were living in a world right now where there was not a pandemic and everything was just going to kind of be normal this offseason, I think we would see them spend more money because now they've got the they've got the big the big money guy is set now moving forward. I I really believe that last year they were setting themselves up to be able to have the flexibility that they think that they would need to sign Christian Yelich. And it's funny the way fans think it's as if those signings to keep your own players, and this goes in all sports, all professional sports, Like I feel like those are never mentioned. As if fans don't consider that those moves count too. Instead, people think, well, he doesn't go out there and sign that big free agent, that shiny object over there, 
that those guys can. We want that player. Bring him in. Everybody's always focused on what everybody else has and how maybe we can acquire that person over there, trade or free agency. That I, you're right. I think that, for example, the Yelich re-signing, I mean, this season aside, is huge. It's massive. And you know what? If I don't think he's going to get credit for the re-signing when people, you know, call into your show and you bring that up and they'll go, oh, well, yeah, of course. But think if he didn't. If they didn't re-sign Yelich and it's a Molitor situation and he goes somewhere else and wins an MVP in a World Series and leads another team to or leads a, a different team to a championship, imagine, imagine the calls and the criticism Adonazio would get then. You see, small market, let him walk. In this case... He opens the bank account. He signs the guy for, what, eight, nine-year deal? And people seem to they, they, they seem to forget that. They don't give Adonazio the credit for re-signing one of the best players in the league. And on exactly what you said, but to take it one step further, you don't get credit for retaining, but you take mm-hmm. so much grief for losing. People all season long talking about Mustakas and Grandal. I would have loved to have seen those guys back with the Brewers, but the money they got. And by the way, I mean Mustakas did not have a very good year for Cincinnati, and Grandal, Grandal might have cost the White Sox the opportunity to advance in the playoffs. With he, he had another really bad defensive series uh, there in the playoffs. So again, I'm not somebody. I do believe that just because you do something in one place doesn't mean that's what you're going to do somewhere else. Mike Moustakis could have had a fantastic um, offensive season with the Brewers. Uh, Yasmani Grandal might have been the exact same guy. But all that being said, Brewers fans, a lot of them, really do want to focus in on the fact that those guys aren't around. So it is a, it's not fair in the sense that when you lose one of your players, there's criticism. When you re-sign them, there's not the uh, gratitude given. How big a loss was Lorenzo Cain? Huge. Like, I, I feel like as, as this season went on, honestly, there was a point, I think it was last week, and I I had forgotten about Lorenzo Cain. Like, I was like, I thought, oh, that's right. Low Cain opted out. And don't get me wrong, I'll say it up front, and I did at the time. I was on the air the day he made the announcement. It's his decision. I'm not going to fault him for it. Uh, it's, it's bigger than baseball when we're talking about a pandemic. But still... Um, I mean, I I'd forgotten about him, and I'm, I thought, man, what a difference that might have been, right? Yeah, so, you know, sometimes, like, somebody will say, you know, this manager cost you 30 games this year. Um, I always, I'm always very quick to remind people that in a 162-game season, you know, the old everybody wins 60, everybody loses 60, and then there's 40 games on the table that can be won or lost. So if you're going to sit there and say a manager cost you 30 games in a season, that means the manager literally cost you 75% of the winnable or losable games that were on the table. It's it's a ridiculous thing to say, and it's not true. So I, I say that to say this. I think this team could have won four, five more games with with Lorenzo Cain on this roster and in a 60-game season, adding four or five wins to, to what you do, that is that is a huge, huge, huge number. Oh, oh well, I mean, I'll, I'll, let's just say you're, you're, you're overestimating his impact. Instead of, what did you say, four or five? Four or five, yeah. Four or five. 
let's say it's two or three. Well, now, two or three, now you're not a losing team, so people aren't going to be griping about the fact you were under 500 made the playoffs. Now you might be, you know, maybe you're 31 and 29, and I don't know if that would have been what the, the seven or the, the six or whatever it might have been. So that, it's, it's just so... It's just so fascinating. It seems like that happened so long ago, too. It did, in a way, but that happened so long ago. Can I ask you something? I was going to ask you this on the show when you joined me the other night. I, I had it said to me that they believe, this, this is coming from a Cubs fan, but they believe that some of the, one of the reasons that a lot of these guys are normally offensively you know, just off the charts and had a, 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 a bad year, so maybe like a Yelich, is that, and I haven't heard this talked about a lot, the in-game ability to go and watch video mm-hmm. was taken away this year, thanks Houston Astros. And I, I, I assume that, that that's a new policy. You can still watch video you know, after the game and prep and all that other stuff, but correct me if I'm wrong, you cannot go after an at-bat, go back into the clubhouse, watch video, and prepare for your next bat. And they said that that's, so many players here and now rely on that because they've had it basically during their formative years of baseball and now having it taken away was an adjustment that they just, uh, you know, they, they, they struggled with. You put any creams in that? A lot. Yeah, I absolutely think that, uh, I think baseball players have become overly reliant on video and not having it had a major impact on them. Now I think if Major League Baseball keeps these rules in place, eventually they will adjust to it. They did not get to Major League Baseball because they were good video watchers. They got to Major League Baseball because they're good hitters. But as they've gone through their time with it, they've become very reliant on it. Javi Baez openly spoke on it. He was angry that he couldn't use video, and he was blaming it. And I thought it was a bad look for what he... You know, sometimes things can be true, but you shouldn't say them. I thought that was one of those things where, yeah, this may be true, but you shouldn't say it. And I just know... That I just know how reliant players are. So whether it was the just that in the back of their mind that they don't have it, or the fact that it actually does impact it, like there, there's literally something they they're missing because of it. I do think that had a, a very large impact across hmm. baseball this year. That's interesting. Well, maybe we can add we can add that to the you know when you rack up the explanations why Yelich was bad, or you mentioned Baez, offenses were bad, and. You know, there's a whole litany of things, and that's interesting. So is the rule that that is just no longer allowed, that's not a part, or is that just a one-year thing, it's kind of a let's see how this goes, or or was that one of the fallouts from the Astros scandal? Yeah, that was one of the fallouts of the Astros scandal, and I think the answer is really easy because I think you could – because you can't – there is no in-game video, and it's actually – actually, it's hurt – it's hurt what we've learned about the games because I can't tell you how many times Craig Council would be asked about a play after the game, and he's essentially coming straight from the game being over to the media room, and he wasn't able to comment on it because he didn't he hadn't seen video yet because there's no video in game. Oh. So, so we wouldn't get an answer on something because he had not yet been able hmm. to go back and watch the play. I... I think this is something that the Major League Baseball Players Association would fight for. And to me, what seems like a really easy solution would 
get these video rooms back in place, make one single room being the only place that you can have any type of in-game video, and you place a Major League Baseball-employed security officer inside of that room to view what's going on. I don't see a downfall in that other than the fact that you're going to have to hire 60 people for uh, for the course of a season. Right. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I'm going to add that to my list of I'm going to add lack of in-game video then to my list of uh, of factors when people say, what the heck happened to so-and-so or what was wrong with this offense this year? That's interesting. That's fascinating to me. It's kind of funny, though, that these guys, the best in the world at what they do, feel like they can't do it at their best without video. I think it says a lot about well, the game today. And, you know, I, I, you know I, I said it before, but like, how many of these, these guys – are just so used to it by now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they play college ball, good chance they had some degree of video, maybe not in-game. Um, I doubt any of these high school guys had in-game video, but just the overall reliance on... And I, I think the advancement... I, I mean, I'm intrigued and fascinated by the advancement of technology in terms of spin rate and... Um, I forget the name of the the, 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 tech, the software technology. You know, it, it helps pitchers. I mean... As, as much as hitters, maybe not in game per se, but well, maybe in game. Um, it's just amazing, you know, the um, the ability for these slow, super, super slow motion cameras that a pitcher can go and watch their delivery, and then what overlay, you know, my delivery on a on a slider last year, and where's my release point, things like that. It's amazing how reliant, you know, these players are on it, but I wonder if it's because they've kind of grown up with some of this technology. So it's now you're taking it away from me. I don't know. Yeah, I think you get it starting at about AAA. As far as when I was when I was at AAA broadcasting, they had it. And I really haven't heard of many AA teams having it. So I think most you, you really get it starting at uh, at AAA but you go into these big time college baseball programs, like you know, the SEC programs, the, the programs that are in the College World Series very consistently. It is um you know, it's kind of I always think it's funny. I don't know if there's another example of this being the case where you as a athlete can go from being an amateur athlete to being a professional athlete and the facilities and the everything that goes along with it goes down because that's the case. If you're a if you're a big time college baseball player in a big time college baseball program, you have almost major league amenities and facilities and things like that and then all of a sudden you're you're drafted and you're you're going and playing in the pioneer league or the midwest league or the south atlantic league and it is just a completely different world did you travel when you were in college did, did you travel with the baseball team i didn't travel in college i traveled in minor league baseball when i was doing low a baseball right. and independent baseball but i did not do right. uh, much traveling when i was covering uh, college baseball I, I was just curious if um you had gone through the Big 12 circuit and was just, I, I don't know, I was going to ask you, what, what was your favorite, like, college baseball stadium? Because you go, I mean, obviously you have these cathedrals and the money that's poured in, like you say, but we're pretty much talking what, like, the SEC, probably the Big 12. I think the Pac-12, I mean, Oregon's stadium. facilities are yeah. insane. Yeah, wow. um, you feel night. Yeah. And I, I traveled the Big 12 with football. When I was doing student radio in Big 12, we, we would travel to all the games. So I traveled for uh, I traveled a lot for football and basketball, but I, I don't know. 
I think the only Big 12 baseball stadium that I was ever in, other than Kansas State's, was uh, the one at Kansas, and that was nothing special. Uh, the rivalry. The rivalry. Got to get that dig in. <laughs> All right, Scott. Well, oh, this man. was uh, this was fun. I enjoyed just kind of looking back yeah. on the year and everything that was uh, that was different about it. As it is, uh, man, it moved fast. It was incredible. It was it was an arduous pro. Like I have never, and again, I say this. I know I was lucky to be one of literally across the United States of America. There were not that many people that were sitting inside of major league baseball ballparks and watching games live and that's not lost on me and i'm I'm very appreciative that i was one of the few uh that that got to be there but it it was not fun the way it has been fun before to sit and watch those games and so at times it felt like these games were a little bit longer at times it was it was trying during the year but at the same time Man, it does not seem like that long ago that they were opening up the season. Yeah, it's amazing how if, of the many things we take from sports this year is there really is a home field or home court advantage. And I, obviously everybody always knew it, but you couldn't really quantify it. Not that there's a stat that you can now quantify it as now, but I think everybody will come away from this year in all the sports and go, yeah, you know what? It makes a difference mm-hmm. when it's the ninth inning and um, somebody's digging into the box and it's it's like a rec league game out at a county park. It's hard for that batter to maybe get to that place mentally that he normally would. Or when, when you're coming to the line of scrimmage and like Rogers does, you can pull a pull a defender you know across the line with encroachment. When you're on the road in a dome, and normally you'd be in a silent count, and your team would have X number of holding and false start penalties, or you know, an NBA since we don't have to get into the NBA. I think we realize what the situation meant for the Bucks and what it meant for teams like the Heat on the other side of the coin. So, one of the big takeaways for me, and I think for a lot of sports fans, should be the fans really do, even though you can't have a stat for it. The fans make a difference, and it's different in every sport, but there are moments where you go, it would be different if this place was packed or if there were fans here. And I think that's one of the really, really, um, I think really important things to take away from a fan standpoint out of all this. No, I I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, I don't think the Bucs go out when the Bucs go out if they would have been able Mm -hmm. to play games at home. No. Absolutely not. Do the Packers beat the Saints in New Orleans with uh, 75,000 screaming fans? Not maybe not. Yeah, great. Yeah, no, it's a great question, and it's questions we'll never answer. I never have answers to. All right, Scott. People should listen to you. They're already used to listening to Brewers baseball, and that's gone for a while. So they should listen to you six to nine weekday nights on WTMJ, right? Except on Thursdays when I go 6 to 8 so that we can have Brewers Weekly with Matt Pauley from 8 to 9, even during the offseason. But, yeah, 6 o'clock weeknights on WTMJ. I've got a regular shift now on uh, for the foreseeable future. Until we probably have, uh, what, NBA basketball in January and spring training baseball, fingers crossed, in uh, February. February, March, March yeah. That's uh, although most of those games happen during the day, there's very few nighttime spring training games. 
This is true. Yeah. This is true. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. You bet. We'll do this again at some point in the offseason. Will do. Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. Scott Warris joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. So the Brewers are not in the playoffs, and the MLB playoffs are certainly continuing on. Here is what uh, things look like. The uh, the ALDS is set to begin on Monday. The uh, first game of the day will be A's against the Astros. The second game of the day will be Yankees against the Rays. And then uh, the ALDS and the NLDS series will be going on on Tuesday. Braves, Marlins, A's, Astros, Yankees, Rays, Dodgers, Padres, the order of games on Tuesday. And, uh, yeah, that's just the way uh, that we'll see what happens. Again, the the matchups in the ALDS, Rays against the Yankees, that's – Rays had the Yankees number during the regular season. Rays were really good. Yankees are the American League favorite. That's probably the most compelling series of all the series that are going on. Astros A's, that's interesting. You get Mike Fires pitching against Houston at some point. Uh, Dodgers Padres, those are the two best teams in the National League. Marlins Braves, what's the storyline there? Uh, you got a young Marlins team that had to fight through a lot to get there. You got a super talented, fairly young Braves team that's probably still looking to break through in the postseason. That's probably the storyline there. With all due respect to Marlins Braves, I think it's a little easier to find the storylines in Rays, Yankees, Dodgers, Padres, Astros, A's, and then I would go Marlins, uh, Marlins Braves after that in terms of the most compelling matchups. All right, thanks so much for being tuned in. We'll keep doing this every uh, Sunday night slash Monday morning. We will be posting this podcast, Brewers Weekly, Thursday nights, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock on WTMJ. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Thanks for being a Brewers fan. I know it's a tough year to be a fan of baseball at all, but if you're listening to this, that means uh, you were you were still locked into what was going on. And I, I know uh, that's that's something that, you know, just from a radio station standpoint, we appreciate listening to games and, and everything that goes along with that. Me personally, I can't tell you how much I missed fans being in the stands it was i was glad to be there i was glad to be watching baseball but man i missed the environment that you normally have at miller park it just was not the same and i can't wait to get back to it all right we'll talk to you next week for another edition of brewers extremes podcast powered by wtmj mobile thanks for listening to brewers extra innings the podcast matt will be back next week with another episode For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.